Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. If you hunt enough, you learn the truth. What you seek speaks a language and knows it well. That's why every Primo's call for everything you hunt is made the right way. We sweat every detail so you get more out of every hunt and nothing leaves our hand until we know it'll work in yours. Because we don't just make the world's best calls, we speak the language. Primo's. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. Before we get to this Waterfall Wednesday, a couple quick things. One, thebeardstruggle.com. Go check it out for all my bearded brethren out there, my Vikings in arms. Uh, Check out their products. You're going to love them. I actually really, honestly, I love the product. Otherwise, I wouldn't be barking at you. Um, But go check it out at checkout. Uh, Full scale 15 is the code you want to put in. You're going to get yourself 15% off. Uh, You're going to help out the podcast. I appreciate it. Thebeardstruggle.com. Check it out. Also, on this Waterfall Wednesday, um, man, I was recording with Nick, and we were talking to the originators of hardcore decoys and the pretty much the godfathers of the modern decoy world. Super cool conversation. We talked for like 20 minutes, and there was something messed up, and we weren't recording. So that kind of sucked. Um, but got it under control. Uh Thankfully, they had enough time and were willing to uh, pretty much start fresh, and uh, so we did. You're really going to like this episode. Check it out. Um, The audio, so I have them there on speakerphone on their end, and Nick and I had headphones. So not the greatest audio, but I think you're going to forget all about it because uh, they have an awesome, awesome story to tell. I'm barely in it, so you're really going to like that. (laughs) It's pretty much Nick uh, fangirling over these guys so uh sit back relax uh and enjoy it waterfall wednesday coming at you oh here we go boys go oh i love that sound This is a good one. I believe we're recording again. <laughs> so yeah, we uh, we had a snafu there, and uh, for some reason it didn't record like the first half of a twenty-minute conversation. So that was awesome. So wait, where did we start then? Where did the recording start? Uh, it basically started. It recorded nothing. It recorded dead air for 10 minutes and then recorded when we realized it wasn't recording, basically. Not quite <laughs> sure why it did that. So we have nothing. We have absolutely nothing. We were starting fresh from scratch. I'm, so I'm, I'm let's eating. go ahead and introduce who we have on the Full Scale Outdoors <laughs> podcast. Is something... Is this something we might need to reschedule, or? Um... No, you're good, guys. Roll with it. All, All right. right, let's do it. So, 
Take two. A take two. Uh, first scene was 10 minutes. We're going to have to <laughs> 20 minutes. All right, so uh, so I'm just starting from like we've never. It's like a really bad porno. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Super producer Dale. Yep, yep, yep. yep. No, no, we just got a new Gamer soundboard. Guy forgot to hit record. Okay, so welcome, again. welcome again to Waterfall Wednesday. Um, I'm Nick J, and I got a really cool guest here tonight, and it is Marcus Flesher, one of the original hardcore founders. Um, basically, I'm familiar with Marcus's work from the old forum days, and when hardcore came out. Everybody just shit their pants with what just hit the market. So it's I pretty much consider it to be like the the founding the founding document of the of the modern decoy era. And I saw um, Marcus uh, for the first time on Full Moon Fever when I was maybe 13 or 14 years old in the early 2000s. And uh, Marcus was painting painting Bigfoots in that video. And then I turned my parents basement into a paint studio i became obsessed with goose decoys um and i've been a big fan of your work ever since and uh getting you on the line here i'd i kind of wanted to hear how did you go from a guy that just liked goose hunting and doing it on the weekends with your buddies to basically being the granddaddy godfather of the custom goose decoy market <laughs> oh, dude. <laughs> Dude, you're 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 inflating my ego. I'm not gonna be able to get to the door now, man. Yeah, no doubt. So you want to know the story about how I went from a two bit loser to a three bit loser? <laughs> yeah, or because so I can improve myself. How did you get the idea that yeah, I'm stuck, doing goose decoys was a go. good idea? I'm stuck on the one bit right yeah. now. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thanks for having us, guys. I, I appreciate it. I got my son Wyatt here with me, and um, yeah, he's gonna participate a little bit. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm happy to share the story of basically how hardcore kind of got started. Um, you have to go back a long way because I'm an old man now, but uh, it kind of got started back in the late 90s when I was hunting with uh, my ex-business partner at the time. We were just buddies and roommates. His name's Corey. Um, we got started hunting together and, and palling around together, and we knew some some people that were getting started in the industry already. Um, we shared a common friend, Bill Saunders, who owns Guide Series Calls, and Ron Latchaw knew Bill because he was sponsoring Bill at the time from Final Approach Blinds. And, uh, yeah, anyways, we all just kind of piled around together a little bit. <clears throat> so you went to school it, with uh, Bill? I did. I went to school with Bill. Uh, we went to high school together. He was a year or two ahead of me. We didn't really follow around together back in high school, but uh, I kind of knew him. And, and uh, Corey knew him, too, as well, um, through the high school days. Um, Corey was definitely a lot better friends with Bill than I was and uh, knew him a lot better. Um, Ron, Ron Latchard actually reached out to Bill and, and told Bill that he wanted to put together a, a film, and that's when uh, Full Moon Fever uh, was filmed was that first year kind of probably right around the turn of the century right like 2000 um we uh all got together and started hunting the early nuisance season over in oregon and that was back when nobody hunted so you but, had no uh, competition like them, scouting for birds out there oh dude there was nobody i mean there was thousands of birds and nobody was hunting 
I mean, it was uh, it, it was easy. It was easy picking. You're picking low hanging fruit for sure. That video I mean, was fucking awesome. Like I had never seen anything like that in my entire life. It changed everything about what I wanted to do with my hunting life, pretty much. When you guys were decoying wads of sixty, hundred birds. I mean. 15 20 yep. bird rainouts like what okay. what did i just watch what was the what was the daily limit half the, half the rainout was from tim from the oh yeah dude tim was an absolute monster man that guy could shoot like nobody's business yeah we had tim grounds out there came out and hunted with us um we had an outdoor rider came and wrote a story on the whole entire event that's just awesome. in order to get kind of prepared for that hunt um Corey had came to me and said hey man can we build a stuffer rig because I was doing taxidermy at the time, and I was just dumb enough to say yes. Yeah. And uh, so I, I turned. Uh, I, I just started calling all my buddies, and Corey called all his friends, just trying to find people who had some geese in their freezer that we could use for uh, stuffers. We put together like forty or fifty stuffers that summer, and then when <laughs> I started looking at them with our big feet, we realized real quick that those big feet stuck out like a sore thumb. They didn't even compare to those steppers. So then I started custom painting those big feet just on a whim, thinking maybe I could match the color scheme a little bit better. And uh, it looked pretty good. I mean, as good as you could get a big foot to look. I know? can't believe then, that you got them to look that good. That's um, for crazy. Your, you should see how shitty my first attempt at painting a big foot <laughs> looked. I mean, I mean, unbelievably shitty. Did you like take pictures well, of the of the geese of the like of the stuffers to? To know what to paint, or oh, were yeah. you just using real dead birds? No, you don't even know how many times I repainted decoys. I mean, it was it was crazy. We sat and just repainted and repainted until we, you know, got it as close as we possibly could. But um, yeah, anyhow, built that rig and uh, went over and started on with Ron and Tim and filmed that video and and Tim just went nuts over those custom painted decoys and over those block heads. We had, uh, Perry Northhouse at the time was just starting, uh, on black widow decoy blocking. And he had sent us a bunch of packets to uh, use on those decoys. And so Tim was going nuts over those decoys. And then the outdoor writer from wild town magazine was there writing a story and he went nuts over the decoys and took a bunch of pictures. And, uh, during the middle of the hunt, we were on like the third or fourth day, Tim, turns to me he's like hey dude you want to do a spot in the video on these custom painted decoys and would you be willing to you know paint them for other people and i'm like yeah whatever dude that's fine because nobody's ever going to pay me money to paint their decoys yeah let's you know? just and film this like, here in hey. two minutes and get it over with <laughs> exactly right and, and tim's like hey bud i'm telling you right now <laughs> you better you, you better get ready because as soon as i unleash the fury you're gonna be right <laughs> And, uh, just like, like him. yeah, whatever you say, bud, whatever you say. Right. <laughs> so anyway, he, he, uh, he, uh, does the spot and, and in the video and talks about it. And that's when I became famous because I said same, same and not so same. And everybody makes fun of me to this day about it. But <laughs> anyhow, <clears throat> so, uh, done that video, got the article written and the article hit probably like, the spring of the next year and um i'm sitting in the house one day and all of a sudden my my phone starts ringing and i'm like dude who are all these people calling me well i didn't even know it but the magazine had actually hit 
the, the newsstands and my number was in that article. I had no idea. And people were calling me from all over the country and they're saying, hey man, where do we send these decoys? And you're and just I'm like, like uh, I have no idea what to, what to tell you. <laughs> no, yeah, and even, there, were guys, there were guys calling me and they're like, I don't even care what you charge, we're sending you the decoys. <laughs> yeah. And in that summer, we painted like probably close to 200 dozen decoys. Where were you guys putting were them? sending them from all over the country. I was stuffing them in every empty space in my garage and my backyard that I could possibly find. And we had guys pulling up to the house with big, huge enclosed trailers full of like 20 dozen big feet and dropping them off in front of my house. The, the, the neighborhood association was getting pissed and writing me letters because I had so many trailers parked in front of my house. That's unreal. We painted, we painted nonstop that entire summer. That is unbelievable. Just, just off that magazine article. And then the video came out. And as soon as the video came out, holding fever, the phone started ringing even more. It was absolutely nuts. Guys were paying, shipping to ship them out to me, paying like 15 bucks to get them painted, and then paying like five bucks to get the heads blocked. It was absolutely crazy. Plus the original I cost mean, of the decoy, plus the shipping there and back. That's like decoys. $100 a decoy back in like 2001 money. Yeah, exactly. Uh, are these uh, like yeah, outfitters that were that were hiring you out, or just outfitters. private dudes with a yeah, shit ton of money? Yeah, private dudes, you name it. I mean, guys were driving all the way up from California to Idaho to drop off trailer loads of decoys. That's just it was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, it was nuts. And uh, yeah, everything just kind of took off from there. And so then the next year, we were going to film the other version of Full Moon Fever. And Bill Saunders was with us in the car, and he's like, hey, Marcus, why don't you try sculpting a decoy? Like, um, yeah, I'm not a sculptor. You know, I'm, I'm not even close to it. Yeah, Bill Saunders. So he says that and, to you, and you're uh, like, all right, yeah, whatever. Sounds cool. Yeah, whatever. And uh, so I think about it for a little while and kind of kick it around, and then I'm like, well, I'm going to give it a try, so... I gave it a try and built the first decoy and found a guy locally here that would, you know, do a mold. And the very first decoys that we did were actually two-part urethane foam. They were a full foam decoy. And uh, I got the first one, Nick. You can have it for 1.5 mil. Yeah. Is <laughs> <laughs> oh, that it? I'm just 1.499. Well, I'm 1.51 mil exactly. short on that. Will you take a check? <laughs> yeah. exactly. no, that's the, that's yeah. like the rester head one, right? Yeah, yeah, the rester. Yep. Exactly. I, I remember seeing the first pictures of that when it came out, and yeah, just. Ruined, ruined a pair of underwear, shit my pants. Like, what? What is yeah. this? I remember, I remember seeing some of the first uh, hardcores that yeah. were advertised. I was like, holy smokes, those look like actual and I got, geese. And I got my hands on some of the foam ones that you're talking about. They had a little different sculpture on them, and I repainted them. I ruined one of your paint job on maybe a half a dozen of the guys. <laughs> and those were they were broken up a little bit too. They had chips taken out of them. They're kind of damaged. Oh yeah. And, oh yeah, they were easy to damage. The very first like. We, made, we only made like five dozen of them when we took them to the Oregon Waterfowl Festival and like 50% of them broke on the way to the festival. Oh, no. And uh, we knew we had a big problem on our hands. And uh, I I kind of got to know Dave Smith a little bit over the you know first couple of years we were getting started. And 
I respect him a lot. You know, I kind of look up to him a little bit as an artist and as a sculptor, you know. And so I, I went over to his booth and I just picked his brain for a while. And I said, hey, man, I'm in a bench. You know, I need to know how you do this whole, you know, molding thing and rotational casting thing. If you throw me a bone a little bit here, I, I'd really appreciate it. He was kind enough to give me some advice and, I didn't share all these trade secrets or anything, but just enough to kind of point you in the right direction. So then Corey and I went back to town after that show, and I started reworking all the sculptures and started building rubber molds. And uh, we bought a rotational casting machine and yep. opened up a little shop in Garden City, Idaho, and and away we go, man. We started making decoys like crazy. And, you know, our thought was if guys are willing to pay 50 or 60 bucks for a custom painted, you know, Bigfoot, Bigfoot why wouldn't they pay 50 or 60 bucks for a custom decoy that looks way better than a Bigfoot? And the way and, I remember it, too, like Dave Smith, you could, he existed, but it wasn't like you could call him up and say, I need five dozen and he'd make them for you. I heard there was like a waiting list at that time. Oh, yeah. And he kind of like just oh, did yeah, a very, very man. small batch batches at a time you had a better you had a better chance of getting a kidney <laughs> yeah and he had like rubber inserts going on for his, like his tail feathers and then all of a sudden like I, I, like the way i remember it hardcore was the first one you could buy like your first custom decoy you could actually get your hands on exactly yeah that was kind of for you and i you know method you know our, our whole philosophy was that you know dave had a kick-ass decoy um, but Dave couldn't get it in the hands of consumers. And so we were saying, hey, look, you know, we can be the first ones to market here with a with a custom decoy that people can actually get their hands on and afford because I think Dave at the time was selling his decoys for something like a hundred bucks a piece. Yeah, and they're like just lessers too. Twelve hundred bucks a dozen. What's that? And they o- he only had the lessers uh, um at the time, I believe, as yeah. well. Yeah, because he was targeting his market over there where they where they hunt a lot of tacklers, right. um, and so he, he he was up in you know they hunt that I five corridor over there in the Portland area, mm-hmm. and uh, that's what he was initially trying to target uh, when he first got started. But guys, you know, offer hunters all over the country were trying to get their hands on Dave Deepway. He just couldn't get them made fast enough. Um, I think he is, he was doing a lot of other things at the same time, so he was trying to ramp up his business and. We just kind of skyrocketed thanks to, you know, Tim Grounds and um, Wildfowl Magazine. You know, they kind of just got us launched. And then that was also back at the time when the, the talk forums were just getting started right around the dot-com. Oh, they were on era, fire. You know. They were on fire. Yes. I mean, you see, yep, the, so you ever got, look at Facebook uh, these days and see, see the uh, the pages in there, and you go, "Man, they're talking about the same shit as they were like twenty years ago." Seriously, nothing's exactly. changed. Exactly. You know, like everybody. Same trash talkers. Yeah, same uh-huh. armchair quarterback, keyboard jockeys calling each other motherfuckers and all that oh, kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Smallest community on yeah. earth that all hate each other. Yeah, that's Where exactly right. Well, that was flock knockers was one of the bigger forums. And uh, the guy who owned Flock Knockers was really good to us at the time. And he'd allow us to kind of advertise in the forums and post pictures and whatnot. And that just created a huge buzz. Oh, yeah. And, you know, there is, and, you know, as many guys that there were that loved that custom decoy, there was just as many guys that would just motherfuck it. You oh, know, they were like, 
Well, I ain't paying 50 or 60 bucks for that decoy. You can kiss my ass. Kill them over real money. I can kill them over does it, does it suck my dick for that price? <laughs> it better clean my yeah. birds for that price. Dude, Brad Corcoran's yeah. great to go back and forth on that about, oh, that makes him mad. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But you know what's so funny is, is that same guy that was on the forum talking shit is the same guy that would call us up and order it up. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, man. And then he, then he would become a custom decoy guy, you know, and he'd be your best fan. And he'd be on those forums just knocking people around, talking, you know, shit for you. That was crazy. It was a crazy time. <laughs> And it's, it I mean, the same, st- the same thing fun. you're talking about still goes on to this day. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that's kind of the end, you know, the, I guess the start, the very beginning of our forward and kind of how it got off the ground. And then, you know, over time, as you learn what you're doing wrong and what you're doing right, you just make tweaks to it. So, you know, we had several generations of the hardcore decoy, and it's not just because we we wanted to, it's because we needed to. You know, we had a lot of failed um, tries and you just fix what you what you did wrong and, and try to make it right by your clients and, and just continue to build on it. And, I mean, <clears throat> without the, divulging too much information, I can tell you that, you know, Hardcore blew up into a pretty big company. I mean, there was a lot of rumors going around with, um, the industry that, we were basically like, before Avery got introduced, we were basically like the second largest decoy, full body goose decoy manufacturer in the world. Jesus. It was, wow. It, it was, it was absolutely nuts how many full body honkers we were pumping out of a little shop out of Garden City, Idaho. And we eventually we ended up getting a shop that was like four or 5,000 square feet. And we had, Wow. Eventually, gone to a little molded decoy that was being manufactured off site. Okay, I and, had another uh, shit my just... pants moment with hardcore too. Um, I think it was on Clock oh, yeah? Knockers. You guys released a video <laughs> where you had an unpainted hardcore um, sculpture, and you drove over it with a truck and popped it back into shape, and my fucking head yep. exploded. I was like, "What <laughs> the yep. hell just happened?" Because uh, I mean, exactly you could kind right. of do that with a Bigfoot, but of course, all the other components besides the body would break. But this was a one-piece, head-attached decoy. You drove over it, you popped it back into place, and there went another pair of underwear. That's right. That's exactly <laughs> right, man. I mean, that was because that was the answer to everything. Because by that time, Dave was starting to creep up on our heels a little bit, oh. and uh, you know, he was starting to come out with some some other stuff and started to tweak some of his designs and whatnot, started to get a lot more popular and being able to produce more decoys and whatnot. And then, obviously, Fred Dink, right? So Fred yes. Dink starts going going into the industry with Avery, getting them rolling. They start pumping out a decoy that looks pretty decent, mass manufactured over in China. So we had to come up with some solution to get something a little bit more durable. So we went to a roto-molded, rather than roto-casted decoy. And uh, roto-molding would allow you to manufacture it out of a lot more durable plastic like polyethylene. The difficulty is getting paint to stick to it. Yeah, because it's oily or something, right? Yeah, well, it's a a polymer that's more or less made out of oil, right? And so trying to get paint to stick 
try to imagine trying to get paint to stick to a gas can. It's just damn near impossible. I mean, there's a way to go about doing it, but we have to learn it. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of tails there too, man. We pumped out a lot of decoys where the paint just fell off the damn things. You know, we had to bring in, you know, returns and repaint them. And, and then more keyboard jockeys. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I paid this much Everybody money and the paint fell off. Yep, exactly, right? So anyways, yeah, I mean, we we started doing that and making them that way. And yeah, we were just cramming decoys out. We were sending truckloads of decoys to Cabela's, Sportsman's Warehouse, and we had some huge distribution um, sources up in Canada. Really? Max Prairie Wings. I was in Max Prairie Wings and I saw some in there one day and I was like, holy shit, dude. Like, there was a custom full body. They had, and they were like the hand-painted ones and everything right in Max Prairie Wings. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know what? I mean, I, I, I can tell you you know, none of this is just Corey and I. I mean, this is hardcore decoys was all about timing and all about the other people that played a role, like Tim Grounds, mm-hmm. you know, Bill Saunders helping us get off the ground. Um, you know, I pay homage to all those guys because they all participated. Sean Stahl was a really big advocate for us. Really? How did he um, fit in? Kelly, um, so before Sean started working for Avery, man, he came out and hunted with us and hunted with, with Ron, and we filmed other videos with him. And, Which ones? Um, he was a, he, you know, of course, he was hitting the call circuit quite a bit, you yeah. know? And, He's uh, world champion that at that time. Hit. Yep, exactly. And so he was tied in really well with, like, Tim and Hunter Grounds and Kelly Powers and all those guys. And, you know, Fred Zink eventually kind of befriended Sean Stahl, you know, and kind of got him to come on board with the old Avery thing. But before that, he was really a huge advocate for us and 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 helped us out on the forums. And, That's awesome. You know, he was a pretty good he was a pretty good marketing guy too. I mean, he was good at that stuff. But uh, yeah, just a lot of those guys. I mean, there's there's just a lot of those guys. Even Ron Latchup. I mean, you know, Ron was really good at always involving us and in what he was doing with final approach and making sure that we got some spotlight, you know, here and there. Um, so yeah, I'm mean, okay. Homage to all those guys. That's the reason why hardcore did very well. And it got so big that eventually we just couldn't handle it anymore. Just to be completely honest with you. I mean, it just got to be a three headed monster yes. and, what, what brought you to the decision to to sell it? To sell it, just you could not handle it. There's so many decoys going out the door, and just like let's wash our hands, take what, take the money, and run. Yeah, a little bit, but then at the same time, I mean, um, again, timing. We had somebody come to um, come into our our relationship with hardcore that. Um, knew a guy, knew a guy, knew a guy kind of a thing. And he was like, hey, man, have you ever thought about selling your company? You know, this is a pretty good deal. And I'm like, nobody will buy art for decoys, man. It doesn't make a penny. You know, I mean, we're dead broke. So, you know, why would anybody be interested in, in buying our company? You're dead broke because you bought Oh, you put too much fuel in your truck. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's another part of the story. You know, why it's talking about is, dude, we, I mean, we we spent our profits on hunting. I mean, that's all we did was hunt 
I mean, there were pretty much every season we done almost every day of the season. How'd you have it time for it? And we just made time because we videoed every one of our hunts, and then we were filming videos with Bill Saunders, you know, um, making all his videos with him, and, and and so it just became part of the, the the business was to go out and film all your hunts. No, you guys did yeah, hardcore then, hardcore honker hunting was one of your videos. Yeah, we did hardcore honker hunting and red zone with Bill Saunders. Red zone, I remember that. Keep keep rattling names yeah. off, man. This is memory <laughs> lane for me right here, and a lot of them I don't have anymore. For a minute there, I thought you guys were going to yeah. say you wasted your money, but it sounds like you spent it uh, wisely. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. No problem right. here. I mean, you're eating our addiction. What uh, when you said yeah. the sequel to um uh. Full Moon Fever was that out of thin air? I remember. Yeah, that. Uh, yeah. It yeah. was okay. Out of thin air. Out of thin yep. air. Yep. And then there's God. I had all of these when I was a, a pop, you know. And there's one video. Of Tim Grounds yeah. even got hit in the nuts with some with a speckle belly that fell out of the air and puked <laughs> out the side of his blind. <laughs> hey, I got hit by a giant. Yeah, rocket. dude. I could do. I could see I that could do happening. A I can do an entire podcast just on Tim Grounds, man. That guy. That guy um, was, he, when he was 16 years old, he brought me into the back of a sportsman's warehouse, grabbed the manager and said, hire this kid. And I was like, what? And the guy's like, all right, well, let's go up to the office. You can fill out some paperwork. I was like, what do I do here? He's like, just tune these goose calls and put ammo on the shelves. I was like, all right. And Tim's like, got you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, like, man. I'll tell you a funny story about Tim Grounds, right? So the very first time I ever met him, yeah, you're going to laugh your ass off when you hear this. The very first time I met him, um, Corey and I had to go pick up Ron Latchaw and uh, Tim from the hotel because they just got into town when we were going to go film Full Moon Fever. Uh-huh. And uh, pull up in the parking lot, and Tim and, and Ron are standing out there waiting for us. And we get out of the truck and shake hands and introduce ourselves and whatever. And Tim, I said, how you doing, Tim? And he goes, I'll tell you, Tim, dude, I'm doing he says, I got a case of hemorrhoids so bad it's like I find a great throw out my ass. <laughs> oh my god! I turned, I turned over to Corey. I turned and looked at Corey and I said, I like this guy, man. We're gonna have a blast. God, that guy oh, was yeah. That guy was a character, man. Oh, uh, you, you, he was. I mean, he used to ride hard back in those days. Oh yeah, and, you know. He eventually started slowing down and kind of changing his ways quite a bit, you know, over the years. But we always had a really good relationship. And his nickname for me was Asshole. Every time I call him, hey, Asshole, how's it going? <laughs> I'd see him in person, shake his hand, hey, Asshole, you ever called me by name? Just call me Asshole. One of my yeah. earliest memories of him was back in the day he would go to the Burlington Calling Contest in Iowa. And I would go there when I was 13, 14 years old. And he was one of the only guys selling $200 goose calls, and he was selling a lot of them. And I remember he, oh, yeah. he just dangled a couple hundred dollar bills out, coaxing people to climb up the balcony of a hotel. And, uh, yeah, there's oh, a yeah. little alcohol involved. He's like, come on up here. <laughs> and some guy sure oh, enough, yeah. fucking crawls up the balcony of the hotel to the second or third floor, and he stuffed the money right in his pocket. I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh, yeah. what the hell? Kind yeah, of, I, like, I like this community. <laughs> oh yeah, we partied our ass off whenever Tim was in town. He was a good guy, man. I mean, when he passed away, it was an absolute kick to the guts. Yeah, I mean, that was just just an absolute kick to the guts. But no, those were good times, man. I, I guess going back to why we sold the company, it's just 
eventually things just got so big and out of control and, and some people kind of came into our lives that, you know, more or less gave us the idea that maybe we should possibly think about selling it. We started to investigate it. and I took a, a real hard look at it and just thought, you know, if you're ever going to sell a company, you always want to do it when it's peak. And at that moment in time, if you were just to freeze frame time and really think about what was going on, Avery was just absolutely starting to skyrocket. Yeah, they were um, on a rocket ship there. Know, they were on a rocket ship. They were eating up shelf space like crazy and Cabela's and Bass Pro and and, uh, you know, Sportsman's Warehouse and Maxbury Wings. It was getting more difficult to get shelf space because we were having difficulties with quality control. And it didn't seem to matter because Avery's, Avery's decoys were shit. They were garbage. Yeah, the very I mean, their paint, It fell off their like paint a candy-coated shell. Decoys. Oh, yeah. They, I mean, they had all the same problems we had, but they had just had so much marketing and so much manpower and money behind them that we just couldn't compete. Where did they come and out so, of then, like, with all this money and stuff? And Because Green Head Gear Decoys well, came out. I was there at, at Gander Mountain when they rolled the first pallet of those onto the floor, and I bought a six-pack. I still have them. Yep. Yeah. yeah, they just kind of came out of nowhere with Fred. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the guy that basically owned Avery. Cooksey. Yeah. What's that? Bill Cooksey or... Uh... Yeah, Susie, yeah. Yes, yeah, that's right. There's another Tom, yeah. maybe, or something guy there, too. I don't know. But, yeah, that was, yeah. I, mean, I just kind of, that's why I kind of consider you to be, like, the the guy who started this whole decoy craziness that we live in today, because Hardcore was, like, the first. There was these Bigfoots. There was Flambeau copying a Bigfoot. There was Higdon copying a Bigfoot. Yeah. Some other company copying a Bigfoot. <laughs> and then, all of a sudden, boom, Hardcore decoys. You're like, okay, the yeah. world has changed for decoys now. Yeah, and then you got yeah. all of a sudden on your tail. Like Dave Smith started, I think, is after he built the the honker, and then you had Avery coming out, and uh, that yeah, that's I kind of wanted to lead into as well too. After you finish up with the the sale or whatever, is like what? How do you feel about the the um, the market for today as well? But yeah, man, I mean that. I'll tell you, that's kind of where why it comes into this thing because you know I got burned out. Uh, I mean, just being completely frank with you, you know, when you, you know, some guys, some guys just have so much passion for it that they'll never burn out. But when you make it your, when you make it your livelihood, and you go like crazy, um, it eventually wears on you. And you end up turning something you love to do into something that you hate to do because it, it just becomes work. Yes, and uh, I've seen that's it happen to a lot of people. Yep, it did. And, and, you know, I have a young son at the time, Wyatt. And, you know, I got him kind of tagging along with me as a rifle day to two years old, you know, when I took him on his first, you know, cornfield mallard hunt where we absolutely were murdering birds. We had like flocks of 500 finishing 10 yards in front of the blinds. And, and he was addicted from day one. He screwed me hard. <laughs> yeah, man, he was addicted big time. Um, I just took a break from it all after we sold the company and I, you know, I, I obviously worked for hardcore for a couple of few years afterwards because that was part of the arrangement for the, with the company we sold it to. 
And then they ended up selling it off again. And then by that time, I just kind of took a break. And I kind of felt bad because Wyatt kind of got the short end of the stick because that's all he wanted to do was waterfowl on. He's growing up in the garage watching me sculpt decoys and paint decoys and mold decoys as a little kid. And now here is dad just really doesn't even want to get on the river and hunt, doesn't want to even think about getting up and going on a goose hunt because all I wanted to do was chase elk and deer and just not even really think about hunting birds oh, anymore. You got addicted to horns after that, huh? <clears throat> yeah, I've always been addicted to not big game and stuff too, but anyhow. So kind of going full circle, why it started to get to the age where he could hunt now. You know, he's 12, 13 years old, and I just started slowly introducing him into waterfowl hunting a little bit, starting to get back into it. And as I did, I started to kind of revive my interest and my love, passion for it, because now I'm actually watching it kind of start to develop through him. And I'm realizing how important it is to keep it very genuine and um, not get it, I guess, what's the best word I could use, just get, you know, raped by the industry. Because in today's day and age, you know, with social media the way it is, it's crazy. It is. You know, these kids, they, they can't kill a big enough animal, they can't kill enough ducks, and it's all about the number and, and all that kind of shit. And it drives me absolutely crazy because I didn't want my son to be affected by that. I wanted him to just enjoy it for what it really truly was. So... We just did the father-son thing for a few years, and then eventually I kind of got back into uh, a relationship with my old partner, Corey, and and uh, we started out together a little bit more, and now he has a duck club, and and, uh, and he's even got another decoy company started since then, and and uh, so we started down around with him, and Wyatt's been getting introduced a lot more into it, and I've always kind of cautioned him quite often be very careful about how much you really invest in this thing because it'll end up eventually wearing you out if it just becomes work and you really need to enjoy it. And I think that that's the part that Tim Grounds had that I didn't have because Tim Grounds didn't take things that seriously. He always had that fun side of him that right. he always made sure that it's fun. And I didn't have that part of me for whatever reason. It just wasn't a part of me. <clears throat> and yeah, if you if so, if you take it too serious, it, you will burn out. Yeah, and, and it, I'm, like you said, it becomes something you hate. Yeah, when it comes a job and you Absolutely. and you don't look forward to going to that job, that's a problem. And uh, gosh, the guy who kind of taught me how to guide and taught me a lot of my goose hunting ways too. He sold his company and moved to Las Vegas. That fucked me up in the head. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa! I need to take a look at what I'm doing and making sure I'm not gonna burn out. You know and I like. I want to continue the passion. You got to be very careful about it. Absolutely. That's why. I mean, why it is doing it? Why it is? I don't want to inflate his that he's sitting right here. Right? But I mean, he's <laughs> twice the hunter that I ever was. You know, I mean, he's just a an absolute scientist when it comes to these these animals. I mean, he just he studies them. It's, he lives and breathes waterfowl hunting. That's all he loves to do. And trying to get him to do anything else is like pulling teeth, but he's very cautious about really plagiarizing himself all over the, the internet by copying everybody else, you know, and, and doing the same thing with posting, you know, gobs and gobs of birds and, and having to be in the limelight all the time. 
And, and so it's fun to just watch him enjoy it, watch him enjoy guiding for, you know, with Corey because he guides um, with Corey's outfitters business now and, and whatnot. It's just fun. It's fun to watch. And so my, my, uh, passion is completely on fire again but it's it's really more so about just watching Wyatt get involved in this industry and and hoping that it does something special for him and Wyatt kind of <clears throat> he kind of set this whole deal up uh, for us to have an interview today because uh I did some like quick little calling instructional in the basement where I was talking about like tea dependency or something stupid you know and then he goes uh, mm -hmm. who's what are those uh, calling series decoys behind you like they, they that's not original hardcore paint so for for anybody to say that they know what they're talking about when it first of all they know it's a hardcore <laughs> decoy on the wall second of all they know it's not an original hardcore that it's been altered in some way shape or form i'm like okay who what why what do you know about hardcore decoys i'm like yeah you know i'm unfortunately yeah these are not originals and and i see wyatt flesher i was like Hey, you wouldn't happen to be related <laughs> to, because then yeah. he, sent, he sent me a picture of a hard, he goes, here's the ones I'm painting. And he had a hardcore and it looked like your paint job. I was like, okay, okay there's, there's enough puzzle pieces here that, you know, I can put a square peg in a round hole here. Uh, I was like, you're not related to the yeah. originals, are you? And he's like, yeah, it's my dad. I was like, holy fuck, man, your dad's the shit. He made me the and goose then, hunter I am today. <laughs> and that's when Nick went full schoolgirl. Yeah. Fangirl. Like, Dude, I'm, set, me, I'm sending Wyatt my, uh, I sent him my paint recipes. I've never shown anybody those things. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, we kind of nerded out one night just talking about painting and, uh, then we got this all set up, and I was super excited to do this. I mean, uh, especially when you're at that age when this all kind of evolves and you watch it as a fanboy, you know. And uh, I mean, like, yeah. I met Corey. I met Corey at uh, the Oregon Waterfall Festival a few years back too, and I don't think he knew how to exactly take my attitude because, you know, I, I came walking up. I was like, "You're Corey Hamrick, right?" And he's like, "Yeah." I'm like, "You started um, uh, hardcore with Marcus?" Like, I'm like, "He's like, yeah." Like. Dude, you, you you shaped who I am as a goose hunter. He's like, okay, buddy, you know, chill okay. out. <laughs> I was like, let me shake, let me shake your hand. I'm like, yes, yeah, so it's cool to meet you, man. This is fucking awesome, you know. Like, That's and hilarious. I had to kind of like walk away before I asked for an autograph, you know. Like, <laughs> you know, nah, that's funny. I gotta tell you a funny story. Um, so the very very first decoy I ever molded in my garage was one of those full foam decoys. And it was that rester decoy. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I molded that thing. There was a sports show going on in Boise at the time called the uh, Sports and RV Show. And we had a, Bill Saunders had a booth there selling calls. And we were helping him work the booth. And I got that mold back from the guy who made it um, during that show. And I ran home and I poured foam in that thing. And I bolted all the fiberglass pieces together and forked the mold and and my wife and I were sitting in the garage, and she was like, well, what's going to happen now? I'm not too sure. But uh, stand back, because <laughs> this thing might explode. <laughs> yeah. right? So I was sitting there, we're sitting there, and it's, I kid you not, it's sitting on top of my chest freezer, and it's moving around because it's expanding, <laughs> and you can hear it creaking and popping and all this shit, right? And my wife is like, is that thing going to blow up, and are we going to die inside this garage with that thing? You know, get get uh, fragments of fiberglass or whatever everywhere. And uh, eventually it stops rocking around and creaking, and I unbolt it. I'm like, damn, we got a decoy. That's cool. 
right? So I paint it up really fast and all that over to the show and set it on the counter of the booth. And everybody walked by, they're like, what the hell is that? Well, that's our new decoy line. We sold like 10 dozen hard floors at that, at that sports show in like one day. With like it was one decoy sitting nuts. out there that was as, as fragile as an egg. Yeah, and we didn't even have any other <laughs> other head positions. They were like, "Well, what are the other head positions?" We're like, well, "I don't know. I'm going to make them up. We're going we're to have like five head positions." I mean, we were totally yeah, making. We haven't thought about we that. Building, we, were, we were literally building the plane in the air, right? I mean, that's, that's awesome. What it was like. That's crazy. Well, speaking speaking of head positions, so, uh, the Sig series. I want to hear about those too, because those we'll, are kind of we'll like this. a collector we'll folklore now. I got to finish the rest of the story. So I know, get I'm, this. I'm getting ahead so of myself. I lit. I threw that decoy in the trash because I didn't like it. And my father-in-law, he's a dumpster diver, man. He don't throw nothing away. And he saw that I'd thrown it in the trash, and he took it out of the trash and hit it for years. He hit that thing. Yeah. And then one day out of the blue, like just a few years ago, he pulls it out of nowhere and shows it to Wyatt. Wyatt's like, what the hell is that? Right? And he's like, that's your dad's very first decoy. What? And Wyatt's like, give it to me. And he's like, I ain't giving you. You can peel it out of my cold dead hand. Well, <laughs> just, a, just a few months ago, he actually gave it to Wyatt in this big glass box with all this really cool um, molding on it that says the very first hardcore ever sculpted um, whatnot and gave it to Wyatt. So it's a pretty cool ordeal. Sitting that's around cool. Now. That is awesome. Yeah. And I think I, I think I got a Snapchat of that too. I was like, that I think I've seen that before. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. Joe Hines tried to call me into selling it to him. No, he didn't. That <laughs> fucking guy. Joe's already got some signature <laughs> series out of my like. Oh, God, he's sn- he snaked Joe. a couple hardcores out of, like out of my grasp. Yeah, son of a bitch. Yeah, that's funny. I think it might even. I think I got to get him back on that somehow. So how many ori- <laughs> how many originals do you still have? Um, well, the funny thing is, is that I got rid of all my decoys, and then um, Wyatt started actually buying decoys off of guys, off of these uh, Facebook groups and whatnot, and local guys that were trying to sell some of the original art cores, and he started kind of collecting the big assortment of all the originals. So I don't know how many we've got now, probably four or five dozen of them. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we've got a spread, but I get shit every week from people across the country now sending them to us to repaint them and there's all these head positions and different generations that I don't have and I'm like damn it like yeah he's, now that he's working for Corey the replica decoy company you know he's um they're doing repaints on all the old hardcores that's awesome I, I actually could you could do you guys have like a little rundown of the the generations and what material they might have been because there's always, you know, like somebody will post, I got first generation hardcores. It's like, dude, that's from 06. Chill out. Yeah. And I remember yeah, there being so, like a uh, black PVC plastic that was being used at one point. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll run it down. So, the very first original hardcores, there was only about five or six dozen ever made. And they were the foam full bodies, um, full, full foam. And then the second generation of those decoys were a hard plastic urethane rotocasted decoy with a urethane foam liner in them. So they were like hard plastic on the outside and then they had like this little thin layer of foam 
that we would pour on the inside of them to thicken the walls a little bit, strengthen them. Okay. And then the third, the third generation was a uh, black plastic that was a urethane, and it was a little softer. It was a little more malleable, and it could you could drop it. And those are the ones that we had a lot of difficulty with because the paint wouldn't protect it from the heat from the sun. And so mm-hmm. guys that were fighting in the warm temperatures, the weight of the decoy would actually shove the stake up through I the back of the decoy. I remember that. I remember that. And they didn't have a, they, they didn't, the plastic really didn't have a memory to it. So if they sat in trailers that were hot or whatever, like, you know, typically guys do this, stop, you know, pile them up at their trailers in the summer and the weight of the decoys on themselves would bend the sides and those sides would never really pop back mm-hmm. into place. Um, so we got, that was a pretty short-lived um, ordeal. We ran those for probably about six months or so. And then uh, eventually we went to um, the uh, uh, polyethylene plastic, which would be the fourth generation which was the first edition of the polyethylene plastic, which those were all black. Um, and those are all the ones that you see guys freaking out think they got jet ones. Right. And th- yeah. those aren't the ones and you can run over with the truck, though, right? Yeah, you can run those over with a truck, but okay. they were made out of a black polyethylene. Oh, okay. And uh, <clears throat> so those decoys, um, those were... Again, because they were black, we had some difficulty with um, just the paint when you'd mar them up, how they would look. And so eventually we went to a neutral colored plastic, which would be the fifth generation, which were kind of more like the original, like the actual base color of a goose. Yeah, kind of that tannish. Yep, yeah, kind of a tan color. Um, And that was the fifth generation and then we sold the company after okay. we ran those decoys for a while. And I've, I've got a photograph. I got a photo of me and my brother. Um, we hunted over like ten dozen. I believe it would have been third generation ones, probably in '03. And uh, it's still in a frame in my in my old room in my house. So I just thought it was the coolest thing. We hunted over ten dozen hardcores. I was like, holy shit! <laughs> These guys that yeah. uh, that Brian Hansen who owned uh, uh, Heartland Goose Calls. Out in South Dakota, had them all. Man, that was cool. And they sharpened all the sticks yeah. so they would wiggle in the wind more. <laughs> just the just yeah, the, exactly that era of like yeah. uh, of uh, pretty much invention of this whole thing was just so cool to be a part of. And I mean, I wasn't even a part of it. I'm just using the shit that you're making. Right. <laughs> yeah, I would say that actually the the, the funny thing about everything happening and the timing of it all with hardcore is the one thing that's kind of the takeaway from hardcore that everybody still uses to this day is the base. Yes, absolutely. The ring ring base was copied by just about every decoy manufacturer that there is now. Yeah. You know, because when when Dave Smith was doing it, um, he just had a stake that you stuck him in ground. Um, and that was it. And then he built a base to add, um, like three, three legs. It was kind of like a tripod. And then I think he went to a four legged base. 
Um, you know, we, we messed around with a bunch of different designs. We had a square base, and then we went to a round base that was pretty narrow, and then we widened it a little bit, made it a little bit bigger. But it's funny now because basically every depot manufacturer in the country now uses that basement. Yeah, that, that was a design. huge thing when you guys dropped that. It was like the, the bungee on a hook on a ring base <laughs> that wiggled in the wind. And that was oh, yep. 03. I was talking about all those guys sharpen the stakes, and I mean, since then... Every single, oh, yeah. decoy, every decoy, DOA and Tangle Free and yeah, um, all of them, all of them, Dakota. It was a crying shame too when we sold the company. Like a lot of times when you sell a company, you know things just kind of tank and go downhill because the people that bought it don't have any history with the company. And the CEO um, had all this, all these great ideas and visions in his head of what needed to be done, and he wouldn't listen to a word that Corey and I said. Um, you know, we had all these ideas that were absolutely asinine, just stupid, you know, and, oh, and he implemented all those ideas. And that tank, that's what tank art for really was they started manufacturing, um, you know, as fast as possible and then went overseas and, and made all these really wonky designs for the bases and all that. And I just shook my head the whole time. And, uh, you know, when they sold it again, they sold it to uh, custom manu or you know, what was it called? Custom manufacturing or something like that out of out of Illinois, or um, like, Ohio, the call somewhere. Company own it or something like uh, didn't like <clears throat> no, or something they, own it? Primos or something? Tanks. No, so tanks. When we when we sold it, we sold it to the people that owned tanks. So. So we were kind of incorporated with Kinks because that was the only other company they had that was in the outdoor industry. Mm -hmm. um, but the name of the company that actually bought it was called uh, PAT Acquisition, and it was owned by First Capital out of Nashville, Tennessee. Hmm. And then they sold it to um, uh, Global Manufacturing. That was what it was called, Global Manufacturing. And I think they were out of Ohio or Illinois, I can't remember. And uh, they wanted me to help them out when they first got started and I went out and visited them, but then they just dropped the ball and said, no, we got this because we know how to manufacture decoys and they've been manufacturing all the red at decoys for years. Okay. And uh, I'll never forget it. I, I can't remember the guy's last name. His first name was Mike. I'll never forget it. I, I, I looked at that guy and I was like, Mike, if you think you know what you're doing with manufacturing because you've been doing the red hat decoys for years, um, you should probably think again because redhead decoys suck. Yeah, <laughs> and, oh, and he didn't he didn't like that. So uh, yeah, I came home and they never asked me to come back. I guess that's why Jim Brown called me asshole. Um, <laughs> but uh, so there goes the redhead anyway, sponsorship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they uh, they absolutely screwed the boots with hardcore really really bad. I mean really bad. I mean they made some stuff that. Should have never been designed, and they decided that they thought that they were going to be the next Avery, and they put their brand on everything, redesigned the logo, and made a bunch of really bad choices, and put that company in a huge amount of debt. And then they turned around and sold it to Bone Collector. So they sold it to Michael Waddell. Okay. And Michael Waddell had a business partner at the time, and the two of them decided to uh, buy the company. And um, so when they did that, they tried their best to just make all these changes to correct and right all their wrongs. And uh, the guy that's actually um, running 
the show over there now, Blake Christopher, <clears throat> is actually doing a really good job. I mean, they're cleaning up hardcore big time. They're yeah, they've... liquidating all their old inventory and, and redesigning everything. And now their new um, rigid series or rugged series um, hardcores are, dude. I they, mean, they you can beat like, ever living shit out of those things. I kid you not. Why haven't I been hunting over those things for two years? They sent me a ton of them and wanted my feedback on how well they did. And I'm telling you, man, you, you've never seen a decoy in your life that take that much abuse and still look decent in the field. They have been coming back like crazy the last, like, I don't, I don't know when they bought it or whatever, but when I started to notice it, like, it was maybe four or five years ago, because you guys had it, and then it just went through all these hands and just went to shit. Like, I'm... I've got eyes. Yeah. And um yep. I'll, I think it might have been like 4 or 5 years ago I was hunting in the spring with like a, I ended up with Riley Ham. We were setting out a mm-hmm. spread of like full body uh, hardcore snow goose decoys and I'm like fuck these things got a nice white to them. They got a good size. They're really lightweight. I'm like huh, that's really interesting. I like these a lot. The next thing I know like they're yep. out with good honker decoys and good duck decoys. I'm like I think something's going on over there. I don't know what it is. I'm not an industry insider or anything, but I got eyes. <laughs> you know, I'm seeing like yeah. these things are coming back. Yeah, so uh, yeah, um, Blake's got this guy, Rusty Burnham, working for him too that's been helping on the product development side. And, you know, he helped build that new Snow Goose line that they have. And Tony Vandemore's really pumping them up really hard and nothing over all those duck decoys that they have now and the, oh, and the yeah. Snow Geese and I kid you not. I mean, hardcore has made a complete 180 degree or 90 or whatever, 180 degree turn, and it just gone right back to where. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah they're, they're, that's they're good making, to see. Some really good guys. They really are. Yeah, that's cool, man. Good coming. So, so what's your feelings on like when you look at at the at the decoy market today? Do you wish you would have kept on kept a hardcore going just with you and Corey or? Um... Uh, do you look and say like I think we could do it better even now, or what do you, what are you seeing on the decoy market? Well, I think that's an interesting question because you know I have moments where I think I wish I never would have sold it, and I wish we were still in business because we could be doing things better. But there's other times when I think you know I'm kind of glad that I got out of it because you know it changed my life a lot for the better and, and some really cool things happened and and I wouldn't be maybe where I am today had I not sold it. But you know, you can't can't look in the past. Um but my feelings on the market today, it's kinda of going back to my point with Wyatt, is that, you know, everything is just so slutty now. You know, they just take away all the the realness of this industry and what it was really there for was guys that just had a ton of passion and wanted to make a difference in the industry. But now it's just about making money. Um, you know, guys get into the industry and all they do is, is become social media, um, you know, kings overnight. And they're trying to make a living doing it, but they're not really getting anything back to the industry. Right? They're not making changes that actually matter. That when you look at hardcore... And I'm not patting myself on the back at all or, you know, including Corey in that. It's just that it's just that what we were doing was trying to change how people hunted. And we were trying to make a difference in how effective a decoy really was. 
Now it's just about gadgets and gizmos. And very seldom do you ever really see a product come to market where it makes a significant difference in how people go about hunting. And that's sad to me because nobody has really spent the time and the effort to put the passion into it to build something and really put their their heart and soul into the product. And that's what we did with our sport. And I think that's why it did so well is because everybody understood how passionate we were about it. Oh, yeah. I mean... I, being a kid, being so passionate, I, I think I fed off of the passion that you guys were just putting out in the product itself, and I, that's something I wanted to be a part of, you know, like, even though I was 14, 15, there's, I could work a whole summer to get a six-pack of those things at the time. Yeah. You, 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 you yeah, can tell, you can just tell when somebody's got it. Yeah, now think about the industry, right? I mean, think about all those people that are all over social media. And they want to be recognized so badly. But what do they want to be recognized for? Their biggest pile of birds. The biggest yeah, because they're the best hunter. Or I think they just want they to be recognized. I think it ends right there. I'm drawing a blank right here. Like, yeah. what you want to be recognized I think they for. just want to be recognized. I mean, that's, that's bottom that's right. line. That they just want to be insta-famous. That's right. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, I had a I had a really good buddy of mine come out here and do an elk hunt with me, and he's an outdoor writer. He writes for Peterson Bowhunting Magazine, and his name's Steve Flores, and he lives in West Virginia. And uh, I brought him out here on an elk hunt, and um, I won't I won't uh, defame him by any means, but I will tell you that he swung an arrow right through the horns of a big six point bull. Oh um, no! <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, it was one of the it was one of the moments where you kind of sit back and realize what's important in your life. And he ended up writing his article. I kept asking, well, what are you going to write about? You know, what are you going to write about? Cause you didn't harvest the milk and you had a great opportunity, but how's this article going to really go? Um, I'd encourage anybody to look that, um, that article up and read it because, you know, he's a, he's just a good dude. And that article was really coming from his heart, which was, he was carrying a huge burden because he has a lot of people that follow him on social media and a lot of people that look up to him as supposedly being a professional hunter. Mm-hmm. And here he'd come all the way out to Idaho and he choked and he choked big time. He didn't know what to say because he was afraid that a lot of people would look down on him because he didn't have a written picture at the end of that, at the end of that hunt. And so he, he wrote a whole article about how basically social media has kind of destroyed the heart of this industry. You're too afraid to put anything out there that you're, that you're a failure in any way. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And so, quite frankly, guys, you know what? To be honest with you, if you're going to ask me the question about what I see this industry doing and who I think is doing well, I would tell you that Sitka actually has has made the right strides because if you look at what their messaging is, it's about just getting out there. And it's about the lifestyle of being out there in the outdoors and enjoying it regardless of what the prize is. The prize is to go and enjoy it. And you can see that all over their messaging, all over their social media. I mean, it's not just filled with grip and grin pictures. You don't have to have a picture of a guy packing a, six, you know, six point bull off the hill, or they don't have to picture of, you know, 10 guys lined up over a hundred at geese in order to make an impression. 
they have pictures of people that are ambassadors out there living a life that most people want to live, which is they get to go on for a living, regardless of whether or not you harvest or not. They're out there doing it. I would definitely agree with you. And Sitka takes definitely the most heat out of any bit, out of any um, company I've seen in the entire industry. And I'm not turned off so much by Sitka's messaging. I'm turned off when people like turn Sitka into something that they can bash almost like a, to make themselves look better or something, you know, uh, what's it called? Oh yeah. If you're part of the, if you're part of their following and you've got all their gear and I'm better than you are because I can afford to wear all their gear or I'm sponsored by them. And so I'm part of their crew, that type of thing. But if you really get down and dirty with Sitka and you, you really look into them, they don't bring on those types of ambassadors. No, they, they bring don't. on the type of ambassadors that really have a desire and a love for the outdoors and they just want to share their everyday experiences. Virtue signaling, that's the word I'm looking for. Like a guy, I've seen a few posts where it's like all these guys just uh, wearing Sitka these days, like they're trying to do like a, you know, a kids these days type of post and relating it to a company that I think has pretty good values. I'm like, I don't think you're barking up the wrong tree there. There's a lot of, a lot of trees in that forest you could go bark up if you want. Yeah. But That's right. Exactly. Yes, yeah, I guess my feeling, guys, on the industry is that it's a little bit sad, to, to say the least. And um, it does make some changes and, and some people start putting some passion back into the product and coming up with some cool stuff because it's time. It's been a long time. Yeah, it has, and yeah, I, right. I think we're going through kind of a transition period, you know, because I've been I've been here sitting there uh, since about the forum days, and I've been as into it as I ever have been. And you know, you were talking about um, what am I that guy not knowing what to write with his article? Well, I don't have a complete story of wins myself, and I put my backstory on uh, on my Snapchat one time, and man, the response I got was just amazing from, you know, just being a little bit humble about yourself and showing that you have passion about birds and, and doing this as a as a lifestyle. It it shines through, I think. I do. I agree. Yeah. I agree, Nick. I think I think there's a, a, a I think there's a hunger for that um realness, genuine passion because, you know, as we all know in this conversation, the waterfallers are a different breed. There's a there's an obsession, there's a passion there. Uh, that runs really deep and why people are willing to pay a hundred dollars per decoy you know i mean it's yeah and there's just always going to be that group you know with going back to the sitka thing because they're expensive and some guy can afford it and some guy can't it's just going to always get a bunch of shade thrown at it on the social media a because it's easy to do you know, mm-hmm. if if I was sitting here across from you, I wouldn't give. To... I wouldn't have. We wouldn't be having the same conversation. Yeah. I wouldn't be giving you shit for your Sitka. If I was, it would be tongue in cheek. But when it's online, yep. it takes a more serious tone because you can get away with it. No one's gonna be there to punch you in the mouth. So it just it generates a lot of comments and a keyboard lot of attention warriors too. And, yeah, it's negative attention in my opinion. Oh, it is for sure. It is for sure. Um. Yeah. So these sign- are, I still got to ask, though, the signature series. I know we're running a bit long here. It's what? It's 1 a.m. here in uh, Minnesota. But uh, <laughs> t- I got to know, like, you got Hunter and Tim Grounds decoys. You got the Kelly Powers and the Bill Saunders signature series. I own two of them, and Wyatt noticed that they had been repaints. Um, these, are, these are like the 
um, collectors of collectors goose decoys to get your hands on. I've seen people who have got like three dozen of those things, the greedy pricks. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, how did that come about? And like, uh, I mean, did Tim and Tim and Hunter and all those guys and Bill, they just let you? Did they just let you put their name on it and did you work some deals out? Or I don't know. Just tell me the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, just work some deals out. You know, I mean, um, by that time we were pretty good buddies with Tim and and Hunter and Bill and Kelly and and uh, you know we needed to do something different. You know, we needed to come up with something different to to market the brand. And what better way than to put somebody who's got a ton of uh, of a following out there on your on your you know, product, it's not something new. I mean, you look at Michael Jordan, you know, the Jordan, you know, basketball shoe, um, you know, it's the same exact thing. Um, but it had really not been done much in, in the waterfowl industry. So Did we decided that... with their tongues out. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, so the idea was to, obviously, all those guys were calling, you know, competition callers. So the idea was to build decoys that were calling. Oh, um, so cool. So it's the reason why every one of them has their mouth open calling. But um, it was cool because it was a fun project. Basically, we just called everybody up and said, what would you like your decoy to look like? And kind of give me your your vision of what you think it should look like, and I'll try to sculpt it. And that was a fun project. You know, we ended up making four of them, and, and uh, we ran you know, a fairly limited amount of them. And that's why I think they're a collector's item now because there's really only so many of them in the, you know, out there in the world. Do you know like which ones have the least amount and which ones have the most amount? Um, yeah, so the Kelly Powers bird mm-hmm. um, is probably the one that has the least amount out there. And that's the one with his head turned backwards. Yep. Um, the, the lesser. The lesser. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the lesser. Um, and then the collar bird, the collared uh, bird, the Bill Saunders bird. The other is, lesser. Is probably, yeah, the other lesser. And it's just by virtue of the fact that they're lessers is the reason why there was less of them because you just sell less of the lesser model um, because there's less guys that need them. Um, but the, the collared bird is probably the most sought after one out of the bunch. Have you seen it uh, ever go for like a crazy me. price or anything uh, out there that you've noticed? I don't track it as much as Wyatt does. What he, what the most I've seen it go for was on eBay for like five hundred some odd bucks each. That was just the one call. Yeah, that was just one collar bird on there. I'm so. never gonna be able to afford my favorite hardcores, man. Here I'm 33 years old, still like, how am I gonna get this you money? Can them, you can find them cheaper. Than you can that. find them now. There's pages and stuff, fan pages, you know, for the original hardcore decoys, but. It seems like every one of them, somebody is, you know, that decoy is so damn old that they fucked with it and somebody played with cha- the paint. Somebody the cheek patches and shit type of stuff, right? Now it looks like it. So that's kind of where Corey and I have come in and, I mean, I'm not glowing or anything, but it's, I mean, the original, one of the original creators are for decoys and we still have the original paint job and we can make them look the exact same. We're not coming out there to make money, but it it makes me sick, you know, seeing all these things on social media, these trash decoys. So You've probably seen we're the ones offering I painted. an honest service. We're offering an honest service to guys that want them to look like they did 
they're restored. You know, 15 years ago when they came out of the box. Yeah, and yeah, you you sent me a picture of you doing it. I was like, holy shit! There's still hope out there, Nick. You're gonna find that one that one dude just gonna be talking to him, and he's gonna be in his garage, and you're gonna spot some dust covered hardcores in the corner, and oh, he's the ones that happen. he's forgot about. He's like, oh, you can just have those. I haven't used those in years. Yeah, no, I was actually out. Uh, <laughs> I was out in. Uh, those are the ones that are the score, right? The, the yard sale one where. Yep. The, the lady the lady divorces her husband. Yes. She's been using them as lawn ornaments. And I only, she has no clue what she has. Mm-hmm. I personally now, I've, I only own one hardcore decoy that has original paint on it. And I was just hunting with a, a group of guys. Uh, it was in a western state that I'll, we'll rename, will remain nameless. And uh, we, I was hunting with a local, and he starts pulling out his trailer, and he's got original hardcores in there. And I'm just freaking out. Like, holy <laughs> shit, these are originals. Like, well, what I mean when I say original is like hand airbrushed. And yeah, I was like, "Fucking a, are those gorgeous?" And he had the cheek patches redone, but that's not that big of a sin, I guess. And he's like, "Why don't you just take one of those? You're so fucking weird about it." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Are you kidding me?" I wrote him a fucking big thank you letter. It's hanging up in my house right now. I was like, <laughs> you know, it's just part of it's yeah. part of like uh, it's part of my origin origin story in a way too. Like, how did you get so into hunting? You know, it's it's part of every, you know, it's a collective part of the culture in a way yeah i don't know how else to put that yeah so uh i'm not gonna lie dude when i saw that on your snapchat of the ground series birds wanted to blow my brains out <laughs> what do you mean Sandblasted. oh yeah Sandblasted. Dude. I oh, like, oh i saw those for sale i was like why would you do that to those decoys but i'll take them <laughs> yeah, I know exactly, i'm not gonna name any names but i know exactly where they came from yeah. yeah, and uh, this is whatever. Keeps their own. They got a million of them. Was that like yeah. a, a Pacific Wings thing? Well, yeah, we we sold oh gosh, like a whole entire semi truck load of them up to Mike Franklin. Um, uh, when we sold the company, we sold them basically all the seconds. Um, which was just a massive load of decoys. And uh, made him a hell of a deal on him. So he bought like an entire semi truck load of them, and then uh, they painted them up, and, and they've been on over in three years. And they textured them, right? Yeah, part of their deal was they textured them to uh, get the paint to look duller. Okay. Um, it was just kind of one of the techniques. <laughs> okay, all right. Because I, um, I know a guy who went up to Canada and was hunting there. And they were doing like 700 of those things a day and bagging them. And they, yep. he said, um, why why are we bagging these? And the guy's like, well, we got to keep them nice. And he goes, but the texture on there is supposed to make them more durable. Because <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was explained to him that the texturing was to make make them more durable. And I'm like, well, why are you? Well, it did. Yeah, it did make them a little bit more durable, too. I mean, it kind of. It didn't complement the look by any means, you know, the sculpture, but as far as, um, you know, functionality is concerned, it definitely made made them not shine when they got wet. And, and uh, you know, the, the durability of the paint was a little better because anytime you texture a surface, you end up creating more surface, right? So yeah. um, you've got more surface for the paint to hold on to, sure. which those... Those decoys being polyethylene, it's hard enough getting the paint to stick to them in the first place. Hmm. I, I have one, one other buddy, too, who's got uh, about a thousand of the 
hardcores that you could run over with a, tr a truck, probably like Generation 5s, and he turned, put a motion cone in the bottom of all of them and turned them all into snow goose decoys. And man, that works out like a nice rig for him. Uh, they're lightweight, um, yeah. fit in the trailer good, and uh, of course they're really cool to hunt over. All the uh, heads attached, and it's it's cool what people have done with everything. Yeah. It's it's cool all the um, all the innovations that got brought to the industry through this company, and um, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, it was really cool talking to you, and uh, I don't know what where, what else I got here. Uh, well, why? What do you? So you're you got a new company yeah, Wyatt, going you're, in, Wyatt, right? You're painting RDC? those decoys. No, that's not. That's well, not RDC. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm working for Corey. He owns his own decoy company now. He's sculpting his own birds called Replica Decoy. But uh, we offer a repaint service, so anybody who wants to send decoys into us, we can repaint them. And fairly oh, I got gotcha. you. That's what you're doing. Are you doing that in uh, yeah. in your dad's basement like I was? <laughs> no, no, there, none of that goes on in this house. My wife, it's so funny, man, because she put up with some shit over the years. It's crazy. And, you know, some some people are like, oh, you sold our four decoys? You know, and my wife's like, yeah, and all I got out of it was a stupid sweatshirt. <laughs> you know, and, and, and wife's been trying to steal that sweatshirt from her for years, and she won't get rid of it. I've got one T-shirt, and I'm actually wearing it. Nice. So, yeah. so do you get? So do you go to? Do you have a paint booth that you use? No, he, he works in Corey's shop. So Corey's got his own shop. He's got his own manufacturing business now. Replica decoys, and um, he, he hired Wyatt to come out there and, and run decoys and paint decoys for him. Oh, all right. Um. Because yeah. I was always wondering, too, like, who was the painter, who was the sculptor when it came to the Marcus and Corey um, dynamic? And I, was, I wasn't exactly sure, like, which what role you guys played in that. So it was pretty much your um, paint design being put on all those or your stylistic of, of airbrushing at the time. Yeah, I mean, when you really look back at the very inception of the company, yes, I carved the decoys. I came up with the paint scheme. You know, Corey definitely gave his, you know, insight and whatnot, his, his advice as to what it should look like. I mean, Corey has always had a very good keen eye for what things should look like. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, we, we worked well together because he was always critiquing my work and telling me to tweak this and tweak that. But eventually, Corey ended up, um, you know, painting very well because just organically, he just had to. Really? That's not easy to do. And start painting. Um, so yeah, he, he started learning how to paint decoys, um, and so now he's become very, very efficient at it and very good at it um, over the years. And now, obviously, a sculptor, right? So he, I'm sure, learned how to sculpt just by watching me sculpt so many decoys. Because I think, I think eventually, when we sold our core, we had like 36 total sculptures. Wow, that we had. Yeah, in the line with the full body, full body mallards, full yeah. body honkers, and full Lessers, body lessers, full trees. body snow geese, full, full body uh, speckle bellies, and then the calling series, and even a turkey, decoy. and even a turkey decoy that um, hit the market for a very short period of time, right after we sold the company, and then I sculpted another turkey decoy. Um, for the company that purchased it again, and it never went to market. That's my understanding. It's sitting in a storage unit somewhere. 
Really? The sculpture, the original sculpture is. Well, somebody yeah. must have paid good money for that sculpture. What the hell? Make some plastic face yeah. out of it. <laughs> I guess I pissed off global manufacturing and they didn't want to do business with me, so they decided to say, screw you, and we're throwing in a storage unit. <laughs> really? God dang. That's worth it to them, yeah. I guess. But, yeah, I, exactly. but I can see that um, that influence of hardcore in the new replicas that came out, and that must be because uh, you, Wyatt, kind of adding in the, the flesher touch to it. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you what, you know, Corey, Corey bounces a lot of ideas off of Wyatt. I mean, he spent a lot of time on the phone talking about his designs and paint schemes and whatnot. Not that Corey doesn't know how to do it, but Corey understands that Wyatt has done nothing but study this since he was a little kid. You know, so he, he does, he adds a lot of value to it. There's no doubt about it. I've grown up watching thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dead honkers get thrown on the floor in my garage. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, if you, if you can't figure out what a goose looks like and how to paint it, I guess, yeah, you should be doing it. Hey, it took me yeah, a while, but I figured guys. it out. Hey, how close are you guys to Boise? We live in Boise. Really? Uh, we we live in Eagle. Yeah, we live in Eagle, which is a suburb of Boise. Okay. Uh. Well, shit. I'm going to Boise <laughs> actually on. Uh, well, it would be tomorrow now uh, since it's Thursday. But yeah, I'm flying out to Boise. I'm actually going to be doing a. Uh, I'm doing a goose calling instructional app, and I'll, I'll be working all day Friday and all day Saturday in the studio. But maybe I'll have to stop by on Sunday and show you guys the Nick Johnson paint job. <laughs> man are you really coming out here yeah i really am yeah i'm flying out friday oh wow that's cool that's yeah. Awesome. yeah absolutely you're you're welcome to swing by on my uh on my my schedule is gonna be a little tied up this weekend because um my Mother's wife Dave. is gonna be down and out she, she's having surgery um on friday but uh oh really um, yeah we'll make time for you Just find a way to do something yeah, well, I, I guess the I guess the only time I have is um Sunday, but uh we can work that out uh through text message or something. I'm sure you guys have a little Mother's Day thing going on. I'm just gonna be stranded in Idaho, but um yeah, we're gonna have a a COVID Mother's Day. <laughs> <laughs> but that would be uh that would be fucking awesome if uh even if I can get a half hour to jam over there and just paint a decoy with you guys would be sweet. Yeah, well, you'd have to line that up with Corey and his shop because I'm not even set up at my house to paint anymore. We could do it for sure. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. <laughs> oh, this is like... out there at the top or something get Corey to line it up. Awesome. Nick's going to Disney World. I'm going to the Nick <laughs> Disney World, dude. The Goose Nerddom Disney World. It's a, it's a lonely funny. Disney World. <laughs> no lines. But, um... I, I, I don't know. I guess uh, that was awesome. That was fucking awesome to get the whole story from you guys. That and was they, very the cool. The origin of of what every I think a lot of people are gonna dig like where this all came from. To I mean, I followed it and I still didn't know most of this shit that you guys went to school together. Dave Smith kind of helped you along the way. All these freaking all these uh, so many recognizable names. Like, so yeah, like, so wow. many tentacles have just gone Grounds into making and... this and yeah, Tim and. Told some funny Tim stories, but I can't thank you guys enough for for doing this. It was fucking fun for me. This was great. Yeah, man. Likewise, dude. A lot of fun. Just kind of thinking about old memories, man. It was fun times. Yeah, even just saying the video names was like, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but and why, um, and yeah. Why, if anybody wants to get a hold of you to have those uh, uh, repainted up, how do they get a hold of you? Um. 
you can contact us through our uh, social media pages, the replica pages. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Wyatt Flesher. Pretty easy. Shoot me a message or something. Right on. And uh, we, we get shipping and everything figured out. So if you got any old hardcores laying around that need a original hardcore paint job back on them, get a hold of Wyatt, and yep. uh, you can catch him through the Replica Decoy page as well. And, uh, yeah, show some love out to the founders. Love it. Four yeah, well, th thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it. Right on, man. Thanks, guys. Good to meet you. Have fun. All right. All right. Later. Thank you for listening to the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. I truly, truly appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, rate, and review. A five-star rating would be fantastic. Um, I love reading the reviews, so leave me a review. If you have uh, anything, any questions, anybody you'd like to have on the show, it, it could be anything. Please don't hesitate to uh, message me. You can hit me up on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, um, Dale Luganville at Full Scale Outdoors. Dot com. Um, you can send me an email. This is it's as easy as that. So, Full Scale Outdoors podcast is a proud member of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. And remember, whatever your passion, pursue it full scale. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Watch Waypoint TV's Great Outdoors Month celebration presented by Battery Tender every Tuesday in June from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Join us for land management tips, family hunts, and conservation-centric films as we show our appreciation for the great outdoors.